pray first. Lord, thank you for this morning. We ask that as we spend time with you and in your word, that you would teach us this morning. Give us ears to listen. Help our hearts be open to what you want to say this morning. We ask this simply in Jesus' name. Amen. Just recently met for coffee with someone who started coming to our church this year. And towards the end of our meeting, the topic turned to how people hear about our church. How people hear about Sunrise. Now this person has lived uh, on island for a while and has experience uh, running businesses and has experience with advertising. So I asked, what would you suggest you know, for promoting the church? And so we went down the list of possibilities and friends, I gotta tell you, we are getting the word out. Things are happening. The buzz is being created. Uh, we're on the radio. We've advertised on Facebook. We're listing key websites and publications. We've got some t-shirts, which I need to start giving away. But I'm, I want, I'm waiting for one of those t-shirt guns, to be honest. You know, one of those things you can go poof, poof. <laughs> it could be some time before we see that. I've got to look, look on eBay to see how much those are. We have some non-adhesive window stickers uh, that they're like static cling that you can put on your cars so that you know, when people are driving behind you, they will have to acknowledge that we're a real church. All right? Now, I'm looking to other areas as well. I want to uh, sort of subtly insert sunrise into different spheres of influence. Like, I thought about, like, government. What if we had Sunrise Presents the Ministry of Finance's Annual Audit on Budget Managers? All right? You know, and just, we, got, we got stuck in the paper. You know, and every time people mentioned it, they have to see our church's name. You don't like that idea? Okay, what about this? What if we just uh, sponsored a day? All right, in Cayman, like, th- like Thursday, presented by Sunrise. All right, and we just pay a good bit of money. But imagine that, like you're, you're turning on the radio, on, on like Rooster 101 in the morning. Good Thursday morning, presented to you by Sunrise Community Church. All right, you have to mention it. Thursday. I know some of you are thinking, why not Friday? Too expensive. Everyone loves Fridays. That would be presented by Kamata Bay or something like that, all right? We don't have money. The elders won't let me do this, by the way. They are wisely against this, this uh, strategy. Well, anyway, back to the story. Ultimately, this woman I was meeting with said, you know, I really love this church. And I've seen myself grow since becoming a part of it, which is awesome. But she said, I want to get the word out the best kind of way possible. And she's right, through word of mouth. But she said, you know... I have a dilemma. I have a problem with this. I really don't know what to say. I don't really know what to say about the church. Now, we're a young church, you know, still finding our way in the big bad world. So, I think a lot of us have this similar dilemma. How do we describe this church? I think most of us sort of say, as I've asked people, say something like, you know, our church has this. Uh, accepting come-as-you-are vibe. Translation, wear anything you want. All right, this is one of the glorious things here. Uh, you can wear a suit and tie, a t-shirt and jeans, shorts and sandals, or as my Comanian friends say, uh, call them slippers. Uh, you can come with a dive tank still on your back, or you could ride into our foyer on horseback. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. We, we just want you to come sort of as you are. But at the essence of our church, if we say that our mission sort of stops at people feeling comfortable, if we stop there, 
while that's a good thing, we stop there, that's a shallow mission. Jesus wants people to go beyond feeling comfortable. In fact, he often challenged people in feeling comfortable. So over the next few Sundays, I'm going to give you what you can say to people about sunrise and even some detail on how we envision ourselves getting there. All right, in this mini-series I'm entitling Mission Envisioned. We're a young church, so this mission didn't need to and shouldn't have and didn't simply sort of appear overnight. And that was difficult as people asked me about this in the first year and a half or whatever, over time I've been here, you know, what's the mission and vision? What do you envision? What do you think? What do you want? You know, I kept explaining to people, you know, we sort of have something, but we're, we're still really growing as a church, and the mission needed to develop as a church grew and developed from the, you know, 15 people who I saw on my first Sunday morning. This mission is simple and hopefully memorable. I think it captures the, the long history, or not a long history, but the time before I was here, history of the church. It's born out of time as God grew and shaped us. It's also born out of laboring and prayer and meditating on God's word. Our elders in the church, and we, we specifically retreated in February just for this purpose, just to consider and pray about and meditate on mission and vision. And so as we go forth on mission, we'll be discussing too, as we go forward, how we envision God using us in that mission. Our mission, Sunrise, to introduce people to Jesus and help them grow by his grace. Very simple, straightforward. Introduce people to Jesus, help them grow by his grace. As excited as I am about this, as others are, as elders are, people we've talked to about it are, any mission is ultimately empty. I mean, really, for practical purposes, it's ultimately dead unless you decide to give it life. Right? Otherwise, it's just words. I want you to memorize this vision. And, you know, it's, it's not long. I think we should. I'm tempted to challenge you guns a-blazing to memorize it, you know? But over the next few weeks, if you don't personally decide to hop on board, and you'll kind of just joke about these sermons with a friend later. Remember that time the pastor yeah, got up there and told us to memorize his mission? What was it again? <laughs> you know, I mean, this will kind of become a byword. The cool thing is that most of us don't attend Sunrise because it's the cool church or because it helps you climb the career or social ladder because of all the connections you can make in our church. But likely because of this mission, as it is already the mission we are on, whether you know it or not. People being introduced to Jesus and growing by grace. Seeing it happen. You are likely part of that mission and that vision. I feel like I am part of that mission and that vision. It's why we love the church. So, to introduce people to Jesus. This morning we're going to focus on this first part of the mission. There's no better place to begin than when Jesus first publicly introduces himself in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. If you have a Bible with you, you can open there. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided, it's on page 734. This is Jesus' big speech. It's his first impression that he gives. It's the inaugural address, right? Every leader of every nation, generally speaking, has that first opportunity to present his or her mission before the nation that they are leading. And this is Jesus' opportunity. This is the moment he takes. 
So we'll do that this week. And then next week, we'll look at how people respond to his inaugural address as we examine the second part of our mission to help people grow by grace. But this week, introducing people to Jesus. Luke 14 and verse 16. I'm going to make some comments along the way here. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. First of all, it says it was his custom here. More accurately probably translated, it was his habit. A little stronger word than custom was his habit. Some of us have said, and not you because you're here, right? You're here this morning. Well, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but I just don't feel the need to go to church. This is my local church spiel here, but if anyone didn't need to make it a habit to go to church, it was Jesus. Right? He didn't need to. He, you know, he knew every scripture, every possible interpretation. Remember as a 12-year-old, he had teachers, scribes, really smart Jewish people say, man, that kid's got potential. When he walked into the temple and asked some questions. He had pretty quality fellowship as well, right? God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. Right? This is... You know, this is a perfect church service, right? You got the, the God giving all the announcements, Jesus preaching, and of course, the Holy Spirit leading worship. And yet, despite the fact Jesus had perfect fellowship, knew all of God's Word, he was habit to go to church, to be with God's people. So if you're a follower of Jesus, and he came around today, you would be following him into church on weekends. All right, let's keep reading. Had to make that side note. Okay, so... He stands up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I love this scene. I love this scene. It's one of my top five, probably my top five, wish I was there moments of Jesus' ministry. Probably along with his birth, uh, the resurrection, breakfast on the beach with the other disciples, that's probably up there. Sermon on the Mount. And just for fun, I'd probably pick the moment where Jesus sends uh, all, those, all these demons into pigs, and they go off and run into a lake. I just think that'd be cool to see. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably a bad choice, but it's up there, all right? This moment is just an amazing moment. You've got to understand, Sabbath services at your local synagogue would have included a few things. Would have included singing. You would have had set prayer readings. Then would have begun the big show, the reading from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And then a lot of time, well not a lot of time, sometimes there would be a reading from one of the prophets. That would be followed by an interpretation, a, a, a sermon about the reading. Alright, so that's what would have happened. And, and here's the setting. The synagogue would have looked something like this. You would have walked into this, put it to the next slide. This would have been what you would have walked into, coming from this direction. You would have walked through, taken a seat on one of these stone benches. Okay, and it would have fit up to 430 persons crammed in there. Similar to the number of people that are here this morning. Alright? Eyes on me, don't look around. 
just, I'm just approximating. All right, just trust me. All right. There's a lot of people volunteering in children's ministry this morning, so. <laughs> so Jesus, he just finishes the prophet reading, right? The reading from the prophet. In this case, Isaiah 61. A reading about the suffering servant, the coming Messiah. Then he sits down. Amazing scene. 400 some folks who worship side by side each week are wondering to themselves, okay, where's the sermon? <laughs> when's this, is he going to preach? And yet, instead of looking around to share this with people they're so used to worshiping with, they cannot take their eyes off of Jesus. What's it say here? The eyes of all, it says in verse 20, all in the synagogue were fixed on him. I think of it like this. I imagine that it's one of those feelings that when you're experiencing one of the most thrilling moments in your life, and, and on the one hand, you want to share this with some friends. You ever been in this kind of situation? Maybe it's a birth or something else. You want to share this with some friends. You want to, you know, get your phone out and video it, or you want to, you want to tweet about it, right? This sort of thing. But on the other hand, you do not want to miss it. Imagine... These 400 some people here wanting to share a look with one another, a shrug, maybe a mumble, like, is he going to preach or what? But they cannot take their eyes off of Jesus. The scene is far too compelling for them. In fact, the word for this fixed on Jesus, antonizo, literally means an intense, focused emotion. Such is... They're looking to Jesus at this point as he's sitting down. So Jesus opens his mouth and he gives them a sermon. Verse 21. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Did you read this scripture? The people read it that day. And this was a profound, I mean, earth, not profound, that's, that's too small, earth-shattering, radical. Words cannot describe statement Jesus just made in his sermon on Isaiah 61. And on the one hand, it's one of the shortest sermons in history, right? You, some of you are probably thinking, Ryan, pay attention. This is good. This is what we like. But before you start putting me on the clock, all right, Jesus' sermon started here, but it lasted two and a half years as he lived it out. He fulfilled it in his life and ministry. This is essentially what Jesus did in two and a half years of living. And would do it forever by dying on a cross and being raised from the dead. Even this week, this morning... Even this morning, really. New insights about Jesus really jumped off the page to me as I read them. And I hope they do for you as well. I hope that as you look at Jesus' life, maybe again for you, there's something about him that's all the more attractive. Which leads me actually to my uh, sermon in a nutshell this morning. If you remember nothing else, this is sort of the entire sermon in one statement. Let us, friends, introduce people to Jesus. Because the third time, the third time may be the first time. 
Let's introduce people to Jesus because the third time may be the first time. What do I mean by that? Living here in Cayman, where the country's motto is, is a psalm, which is awesome. But we assume everyone has been introduced to Jesus. Everyone's gotten their fill, their seven-course meal of how to get saved. And we use terms like that. But, as historian Arnold Toynbee astutely points out from his studies in Western history and sociology and cultures, he said, most people have not rejected Christianity, but a caricature. Most people, when they reject Christianity, they haven't rejected the real thing. They've rejected a caricature of Christianity. And there are all kinds of caricatures out there. I just want to mention a few. Think of them. Think of what people reject when they reject Christianity. It's often, or reject Jesus. It's often utilitarian Jesus. Right? This is, the Jesus and Christianity are good when used for making good people and good societies. Right? Jesus and Christianity are good. Or, or even, what about uh, good kids, good children? And we talk about bringing, I come to church for my kids, so that my kids can grow up in Sunday school. Because Jesus is good to make good people. Utilitarian Jesus. What about dusty Jesus? Alright, this is the Jesus who speaks from the past, specifically from my fourth grade religious education class. Like we had this vague view of how we heard Jesus when we were in fourth grade, and we just kind of like dismissed him then as irrelevant. So he's sort of vaguely important. I remember you know, he's a big figure in history and knows some things, but he's mostly irrelevant. Even though I haven't really taken a serious look at him in a while. Then we have, I'll give you one more, political Jesus, who is used aggressively to promote liberal and mostly, mostly conservative kinds of agendas and policies and politics. These are real caricatures people believe in and think when they talk about Jesus or when they hear about Jesus, these are things that come to mind. They're real. If you just get below the surface with people just a little bit, it's tragic to see how so much is based on a small misunderstanding that's constantly reinforced throughout their lives. Maybe you've experienced this yourself. Maybe you're here this morning and that's all you have experienced when you've heard about Jesus or Christianity. You've had it enforced by friends, by your own thinking, by media, by other, other things, and, and, and that's what you've taken away. I want to share this morning from this passage two things about Jesus I missed the first time around. Two things I missed the first time around. Now, Looking at the time, okay, it might be one thing about Jesus I missed the first time around, and I will just put the second thing on the pastor blog later today. That's like the, the pastor blog is kind of like the B-side to the sermon, all right? Everything just goes there. I'm just going to throw it over there, all right? So, oh well. All right, one thing I missed the first time around about Jesus is that he, Jesus loved specifically. Jesus loved specifically. Alright? You ever notice that when Jesus talks about God loving everyone, or, or, or loving sort of comprehensively, he almost always refers to God the Father. 
That love is almost always God the Father's love. So for instance, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. God so loved the world, God the Father, he gave his only Son. That whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Alright, what about uh, Matthew, chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount? The Father in heaven makes the Son rise on the evil and the good. And he gives rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, the Father's the one, he sort of gives good things to all kinds of people. Even the way we respond, the greatest way we can respond to God's love is, is this universal commandment from Mark 12. It's redirected back to the Father, not to the Son, where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You ever notice this? Always learn new things about Jesus. I didn't realize, and just really started to see, probably over this last year, that when Jesus speaks of love or speaks loving words, it's rarely universal, but almost always specific. He's very specific in his ministry. I'll explain what I mean by that. When a rich man foolishly claims that he's perfectly kept Ten of God's biggest commandments since he was a little boy. Mark tells us that Jesus, he just said this statement. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. It's like something awoke in Jesus where he sees this guy and he sees him wanting to please God in his life. Oh yeah, yeah, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus looks at him at that moment. Ah, oh, I love this guy. He's foolish, but I love him. <laughs> That's how Jesus was specific. Jesus so admired the personal gift of one nobody of society, he said that anywhere where the gospel was told, she'll be remembered. She wasn't an important person at all. She was a nobody to most people. But anywhere the gospel will be told for all of history, she's written in the Bible, she'll be remembered. That's how Jesus' love worked. When on the cross, Jesus, on the cross, all right, Jesus... His, this most terrifying moment, experiencing the wrath of God, the punishment for sin for all mankind, suffering physically. He makes sure to look out to make sure his mom has somewhere she can sleep that night and has a son who can provide for her. He looks like, okay, John, you're going to be Mary's son. Mary, you're going you're to live with John. He's going to take care of you. I mean, on the cross, he's making housing arrangements for people. Astounds me. The, the Apostle John so understood Jesus' love for him specifically that he defined himself by calling himself throughout his gospel the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's me. To John, he was the only disciple in the room. Jesus made him feel like the only disciple in the room. I'm the one whom Jesus loves. Novelist Mary Gordon speaks about one incident in Scripture that attracted her to Jesus. And initially attracted her to Jesus. It's a weird place in Scripture. He's speaking about the tribulation near the end of the world. Earthquakes, famines, fires happening. And then Jesus stops and he says, Alas, for women who were with child in those days. 
And she says, I knew I wanted children, and I felt those words were for me. How many men take into consideration the hardships of pregnancy and nursing? That's true, by the way. Like if, you know, I, you know, man, when I was a single man, I saw a pregnant woman around, I was like, oh, that's got to be tough, and I moved on, <laughs> right? Occasionally, I think about opening a door. I was lucky, right? Especially though, Jesus is in this pa- staunchly patriarchal society. And he just stops and says, as all these people are running around, different people are experiencing hardships, oh, what about for pregnant women in those days? Jesus loved specifically. So much so, he gave out nicknames for people. All right? So, The Rock. What a cool nickname, right? The Rock, Sean Connery said, right? Uh, Sons of Thunder, which actually wasn't really a complimentary nickname for James and John, but Jesus liked to tease him sometimes. He playfully called a king whom he had just been told wants to murder him, wants to murder Jesus, he called him a fox. And you see him like, oh, Herod, that guy, crazy like a fox. He wants to kill me. Ha <laughs> ha. She specifically loved. And unlike most men that I know, to be honest, including myself oftentimes, Jesus handed out specific praise. He had specific praise to people. He said of the soldier who was seen by an enemy to many, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. When he worked a miracle, Jesus usually gave partial credit to the recipient of that miracle. That's kind of weird. He would say, your faith has healed you. Like he would give them partial credit for like unblinding them. That's how Jesus was. He said of John the Baptist, no one, there's never lived anyone greater born of women than this guy, John the Baptist. Even though at the time when he said that John the Baptist was doubting him. But Jesus just loved people. Specifically. I think, you know, if Jesus was asked to stand here this morning and give a speech on love, He would not say, man, you guys are the best. I I love you guys. I love all y'all. You know, Jesus wouldn't wouldn't do that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, we need to know that. But that's not how he rolled. Jesus was just not a very good politician. He wouldn't say, like, I care about the black people, the white people, the Asian people, the Hispanic people, the, the, I don't know, the... Jamaicans in my midst, the Kamanians in my midst, the Americans in my midst. Jesus just didn't do that. He was not a good politician. He'd say, Nico, you know, I love your laugh and the joy you bring to our little crew. He'd say, Katie Krutoff, I love your kindness on display to a hard and cynical world. He'd say to Michelle, I love how you continue to persevere and grapple with my father, not giving up. He'd say to Kurt, where's Kurt? There he is. I I love you. I love how you think deeply and are always ready to learn from me. He'd say to my sister Wanda, my servant who runs on Duracell, who always is helping without hardly a hint of complaining. I love that gal. 
He would even say, I love that guy who says stupid things, who is stubborn and who makes enough foolish choices for two people. Right. <laughs> but has just enough faith to speak about me. That's right. I mean, he loves even our foibles, even our... He loves us even in our flaws. Look with me at verses 18 and 19 of this passage this morning. I want to look at this again. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me. He has chosen me, in other words, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he could have said, I basically come to bring good news to everyone who knows they need some help. And that would have been true if Jesus put it that way. But instead, in quoting Isaiah 61, he is far more specific in his love, isn't he? People who have nothing to their name need the hope of good news, specifically. In verse 18, people who are held captive by foreigners need release specifically. Also in verse 18, those who have never seen with their own eyes their wife, their children, even just another human face need sight specifically. Persons treated unfairly and beat down by authority need to break free specifically. A lot of people have looked at these verses and have said, a lot of people, I mean, there have been major sort of Christian movements and philosophies based on these verses, have said, this revolution Jesus speaks of, it's only, as you can tell here, for the marginalized. And they would be right. But on the other hand, you have people who say, no, 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 it applies more broadly to anyone who sees their need for rescue, for a rescuer. And you know what? They would be right. Jesus addresses specific people and he left it up to those following him to make the broader application. Isn't that awesome? Jesus knew we had brains. That's why he tells parables. He didn't say things just straight up. He actually said, I know you got brains. You can figure this out. And he left it to us. While he spoke specifically to certain people, he left it up to us to make this broader application. So many times. Jesus knows us. Just as he knew the human psyche then. Alright, we may appreciate irony, but we like the specifics of a good joke even more, right? Like you may listen intently to a theological point, but you'd much rather hear a specific story that shows that point, wouldn't you? We like to hear statistics as proof, but we would rather meet one real person behind the numbers hear their story. That's Jesus. Why does this matter? Why does this matter for our mission? Friends, we live, we live in an age where we're told, really almost as a fact, that we can stay connected more personally than ever before. We can stay connected to people more personally but 
The truth is we experience the opposite in reality. I think of uh, Facebook as a great example. Anyone here uh, on the Facebook? No, no. Specifically, oh, come on. Don't be ashamed. Raise it high. It's all right. That's your social network. It's all right. Facebook is a great example. There's specifically Facebook birthdays, all right? Uh, how many of you have counted up the birthday wishes you received on your last birthday on Facebook? Come on. Birthday wishes on your page. Come on. We're all friends here. Don't be ashamed. Okay, I know there's at least four or five of you. I right, study show. I don't know if that's true. But anyway, this never would have happened. You wouldn't have like, looked through, oh man, how many, how, how many messages did I receive? I mean, happy birthdays. Like, with birthday cards, like, you were just counting up your aunts, your nana, you know, and, like, a few friends. And, and, and it was great because they're so personal. You know, like, you get these crazy cards, or you get the one with, like, the, the dove on it flying over sunset. I always got that from my nana, something like that. But anyway, it was so personal. And it's the same thing with giving these birthday messages, too. I still keep birthdays in my personal calendar. And I used to love dropping a note to someone. You know, because I feel like it kind of made them feel special. But now, through Facebook, you just birthday blitz people. Like, you just get on. Who's the birthday is? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. That's what you do. Right? Type in generic message and move on. Happy birthday, by the way, to Mark Marie Van Heerden. I saw on Facebook this morning it was her birthday, so. Oh, boy. This is kind of the world we live in. We're, we're left feeling more fragmented, more isolated, even because, I think, we're told that we should be more connected and we're left disappointed. Man, people, I thought other people were more connected than me. The truth is, people are less connected. But when you're introduced to Jesus, when you're introduced others to Him, you're not another happy birthday message. You're not another statistic you are encountering someone who makes people feel, a person feel like they're the only person in the room. You're encountering a guy you can imagine having a beer with. Or if your personal convictions lead you to not drink alcohol, an orange Fanta with. You're encountering a guy who would remember to ask how little Bobby did in goal last Saturday morning at the soccer fields. He would remember that. He would ask. Even though in a crowd, he'd point you out in a sycamore tree and ask to have dinner at your house tonight. When being coy or acting kind of spiritually smooth and suave, he may privately remind you of your three failed marriages to humble you again. Even though he had opponents identify him as of the devil, and he, was, and he himself was very secure with his identity, he's the kind of guy who'd come up to you and say, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Do we treat others like they are our good deed for the day? Like there's sort of a notch in our sharing our faith belt, our evangelism belt? Or do you love to get to know them? Do you love their quirks? Do you praise them specifically when they least expect it? Because that's how Jesus loves. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. So grateful that you don't love in broad brushstrokes, Lord, or in theological points, but with names, with faces, with specific memories, information, thoughts about us. That's how you 
It's how you ministered. That's how you love us. So when you said things like you know every hair on our head, that's so true. When people say things like, man, if Jesus came to die for no one else, he would have died for me on the cross. You know that's true. Because he loves us specifically. And we are called to introduce this Jesus who loves people specifically to others. I pray people might see that. I pray people might see they're not just another part of a church or part of a, I don't know, some weird cult in some people's mind or, or brainwashing to some people, but they are loved specifically by Jesus. And that's whom they can be introduced to. May we as a church get on mission together. Lord, not that we would just come to church and experience this, oh, why don't you come to our church? But we will be on mission to introduce people to this Jesus who knows them, who loves them, who can encourage them specifically. We thank you, Jesus, for being that kind of God. And it's your name we pray. Amen.